Okay, so like we, like we just said, this is a really big day for uh, Keller and John William. Uh, but imagine with me, if you will, just kids. Here's, here's what we're gonna, this is the way we always start. We always start talking to our kids. If I could have y'all's attention, little ones, young ones, uh, I'm going to tell you what the sermon's going to be about, what the passage is going to be about. So here's how, here's how I want to kick things off. This is a really big day, right, for, for Keller and John William. But just imagine. Let's play, let's play a little thing here. Imagine with me, if you will. What if, because it's her big day, what if you're, you're walking up there with Keller to take communion? And what if Keller tripped you? What if Keller tripped you and threw you down on the ground because it's her big day and she wants to take communion first? Okay, and what if, just she would never, she would never, but just imagine, what if Keller trips you, uh, throws you down on the ground, and, and I come up, and, and I come up to Keller, and, and you're there, down on the ground, kids, and I look at Keller and I say, Keller, I forgive you. And you're still down there on the ground, like face down. What, kids, what would you want to do to me? How about this? What if, what if John William? Hey, what if John Williams is going, imagine this, John Williams is going up for First Communion, big, big day, and he thinks that you just cut him in line. And what if John Williams took his communion juice and came and he threw it in your face? He would never, he would never. But let's just imagine John Williams throws his communion in your face, his juice, and I come up, I come up, and you're there, you're covered in communion juice, and I look at John Williams like, hey man, I forgive you. What would you feel like doing to me? Ooh, let's be honest. If we can be honest with this, this is a safe place. We can be honest. Uh, maybe you might feel like throwing the whole communion tray in my face. Kids, like, what's the problem there? What, what, what's wrong with, let's say somebody does something to you, and then I come up to them, and I'm like, hey, I forgive you for that. Do I get to say that? No. No, you can't forgive someone for something unless they do something wrong to you then you get to forgive them. But we are about to read in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2 that Jesus is going to meet this guy, this young man, for the very first time. Jesus doesn't know this guy. And Jesus goes up to him and says, hey, all your sins, they're all forgiven. Okay, if I don't get to say that, why does Jesus get to say that? Because he's Jesus. This is good. This is a good start. Yes, he's Jesus. Well, okay, so play that out for me. So because he's Jesus, why does he get to forgive sins? Because he's what, Henry? Kind? He is. He's really, really kind. He's so kind. Keep going. Why does Jesus get to forgive some guy's sins he's never met? I mean, I, I, let me ask you this. Jesus hasn't met this guy. He just met this guy. This guy has never done anything wrong to Jesus. Or has he? What do you think? Jesus meets a stranger. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Has this guy ever done anything to Jesus? Yes. What has he done to Jesus? Oh, killer. That's awesome. Yes, he has sinned against him because Jesus is God. Because Jesus is God, this guy who's never met Jesus, he has sinned against Jesus. And this is like for us, that, this is that thing of like, listen, all the bad stuff that you might do to, you know, other people, all the bad stuff that you might do to yourself, kids, it's not just you doing bad stuff to other people or doing bad stuff to yourself. You're also offending, you're also sinning against Jesus. 
Because he's God. Because he made you to love him and to love everyone. And so when we don't do that, we are really, 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 yes, we hurt others and ourselves, also hurting Jesus. And so here's, here's the good news. Do you, last question, do you believe that Jesus can forgive you anything? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus can forgive you everything? Yes. Y'all, it's that thing of, like, is there something so bad? Ooh, Jesus couldn't forgive me that, or I've done so many bad things. Jesus can't. No, he's forgiven you. He can forgive you anything and everything. Last question, do you believe that that is your greatest need? Yes. yes. That, more than, you may think like, oh, I really need this. Oh, I really need to do this. Oh, I really need to get better at this. I need this thing I don't have. I need this thing to stop hurting. Your greatest need is for Jesus to beat your sin. And that's what he did in his life and in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. He has done it for you. That's the gospel about Jesus. He really has overcome your sin, your greatest need, all of it. And all you have to do is believe him. That's what we're going to talk about today when we get to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Just a reminder, this is our second week in the Gospel of Mark, uh, what we're going through this fall. We, kn- we know about this guy, Mark. Uh, we know about him from Acts, 1 Peter. Uh, uh, he's a very, very close companion of the Apostle Peter. Uh, so it's fair to say that the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter, who is one of Jesus' best friends, closest disciples, apostles, really Peter's account of the gospel. But this is Mark's storytelling. And, and the way we're making our way through Mark's gospel is we are trying to highlight the way Mark is trying to communicate and tell uh, the story of Jesus and, and his specific storytelling technique. Okay, so we began uh, his gospel in chapter one uh, with an, it, the way he starts it is it's an initiation story chapter one all of mark one it's a it's a collage it's a mosaic of these intentionally brief episodes one after another that give us they give us these glimpses of jesus and what to expect with the rest of the story to come so please stand for the reading of god's word mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Wait, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, 
and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. So the first thing Mark does after introducing us to Jesus in chapter 1 is he highlights the conflict that comes with Jesus. So you can go home and you can read the, re- the rest of chapter 2 uh, and, and the, uh, chapter 3 of Mark's gospel, and what you're going to see is all of chapter 2 and 3, these are all conflict stories of Jesus. In the next episodes, here's what's to come, the next, right after this, the next episode, Jesus calls a corrupt, uh, corrupt and hated tax collector to be his disciple. Then Jesus refuses to fast, fast from eating with the religious leaders and the people. Uh, then Jesus picks grain in fields on the Sabbath when you're not supposed to do any work. And then he says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And then he heals someone on the Sabbath. Okay? Then, right after that, great crowds following him start calling him the Son of God. And he doesn't tell them, like, oh, oh no, 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 no. He doesn't correct them. He's like, well, yeah, hey, just don't, just, you know, keep that on the download for now. Then he calls 12 men to be his apostles, and his family says he's crazy. Then he's accused of being possessed by a demonic spirit, and he warns everyone sternly against committing such an unforgivable sin, blaspheming him and the Holy Spirit. Then his family finally comes for him to take him home, and he says the church is his family. These are all conflict stories. All these incidents in Mark 2 to 3, they all have the same theme. These are conflict stories that explain why the religious leaders go from being suspicious and upset with Jesus to plotting to murder him. And you see that here. You see that here at the beginning of these conflict stories in chapter 2, that Jesus is already super, super popular with the people. He's he's already surpassing all the other religious leaders in Israel. Uh, That's why That's why in our episode right here, there's a delegation of scribes who are sitting there in judgment of what Jesus is saying and doing. And not long after this episode, it doesn't take long for Mark to really get to the gravity of the conflict in his gospel. In chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. That's extreme. Not just because because they want to murder him, that's extreme, Uh, and because the Pharisees were the Jewish religious conservative elite, and they hated the Romans. The Herodians were the Jewish liberal elite who supported the Romans. The the Pharisees taking, taking counsel with the Herodians and colluding with them to murder someone is like a bunch of right-wing people in our society colluding with a bunch of left-wing people in our society with the common cause of murdering a particular individual who, they, who poses a religious, political, social threat. It's extreme. So, what's the conflict? Like, what's the conflict here in Mark chapter 2? At this point, Jesus has a big following because everyone knows he does miracles. So when this young paralytic and his friends hear that Jesus is in town, they rush to see him, but not in time. 
Jesus' popularity precedes him, so that by the time his friends get this paralytic young man to the house, the crowd is overflowing out of the house. They can't get in. These are really good friends, though, and they go to extreme lengths. They get their friend to the roof, and they start making a hole. And put yourself, just imagine you're there, uh, in this Galilean packed house to hear and see this miracle, see this Jesus miracle man, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all this commotion up above. Uh, a big hole in the ceiling, light rushing in, and then the opening is darkened. Oh, it's darkened because someone, are you kidding me? Someone is being lowered down. He's on a mat. Oh my goodness, this man is, he's a paralytic and he's lowered right in front of Jesus, at Jesus' feet. This is it. This is the drama. This is the entertainment that we have come for. You've got this very, very sick man who's so, oh, this poor guy hurt, looking up at Jesus. Jesus looking down at him, the crowd in total suspense. You can hear a pin drop. And, spoiler, the crowd gets what it came for. Jesus miraculously heals this man, and everyone reacts the way you might expect them to act. Verse 12, the crowd goes wild. This is like, like crowds go crazy for Harry Houdini, David Blaine, Joe Bluth's illusions. Uh, this, but, but this, is, like, this is real. They see it. This is real, and the people are shocked and amazed. It's so, it's so, so that, I mean, if this happens, it's so easy to think like, here we go. Jesus is here, and everything is awesome. But the real climax to this conflict story, it challenges why all the crowds are there in the first place and how they're going to walk away from this awesome miracle. Uh, back in college, I studied abroad with my best friend at the time in Perugia, Italy. Perugia is this really small town, but it's super famous for its chocolate over there, chocolate and fashion. We love the food and, and the traveling. About halfway uh, through our time there, my friend comes to me. And he says to me, hey, I've got this bump right at the bottom of my back, and I can't see, and I can't see what it is, and it really, really hurts. Help. We are far away from home. We only have each other, and I am a good friend. And so, yeah, of course. Uh, okay. Right at the base of his back, right where the back meets the, the legs, that part, uh, uh, there, there's this red bump. And in my medical opinion, it's a spider bite. Um, and so the next day, uh, it was worse. So I tried to pop it. Uh, and it wouldn't. It would not pop. And that just made the pain worse and worse. And then uh, the days went on. The pain just got worse and worse and worse. A week later, my friend could barely walk. So I carry him to the ER to get a second opinion. And... <laughs> I tell, I tell the doctor, it's a spider bite, and I think it's infected. It really hurts. He can barely walk. And the doctor, it takes all of like five seconds, and he looks at me, and he looks, he looks at us, he says, no, that's not your problem. That's not what's wrong with you. That's not a bite. You have an infected cyst, and I have to cut it out. Uh, and so he did. He operates. 
he cuts this thing out that's a little bigger than the size of a golf ball uh, and uh, has been there, he thinks, since this guy was like 16 years old. And it's like he thinks a hair, ingrown hair, got infected. But now, instead of sewing my friend up, uh, he, uh, he stuffs the wound with gauze. He tells me that every morning I have to remove the gauze, uh, uh, clean this gross, <laughs> clean this wound that's really right at the bottom of his back and top of his legs, uh, and uh, clean the wound, sterilize it, fill it with gauze, bandage it up until the wound is healed. It takes three, three weeks. Okay, basically the same thing is happening here, y'all. It's like, this, it's like the same thing with this story of Jesus and this paralytic. Like you, think you know, like, you think you know what your big problem is, but you're wrong about what's wrong with you. And, and your problem is much worse than you think. And so, you know, before we get right back to young man and Jesus, let's do stop and like the so what for us is what about, what, what is our greatest need? Like what is our, not even, going, not even going individually right here, but like our, what is our big problem? Is it our cultural moment in time? Just all the suspicion, all the hate, all the fighting, all the death, all the destruction, opposing convictions on the way forward? Is it adjusting to life with COVID? Is it, is it finding better treatments? Is it finding better testing? Is it going back to work, going back to school, going back to seeing other people? Is it our economy? Is it, is it inflation? Is it underemployment? Is it unemployment? You know, all the, the hit that our work is taking. You know, is it politics? Do you want to talk politics? <laughs> do y'all want to talk about November? Do y'all want to talk about the next uh, presidential election? Like, is that our greatest need? Is, you know, who we want in the office, whoever you want in the office? Or let's get, let's do get, uh, it, let's go individual. Like, is it our health? Like, is it, is, it, is it our health? Is it how we're doing physically? Is it how we're doing, how I, how you are doing mentally? How we're doing emotionally? How we're doing spiritually? You hurt all the time. We've got hard relationships with loved ones, with friends uh, that are not what they are supposed to be. My friend, my friend could barely walk but the severity of the problem was much worse than we knew. Uh, this paralytic in Mark chapter 2 cannot walk, and the severity of the problem is infinitely worse than he or anyone there knew. There he is. And Jesus looks down at this young man, and he says, Son, and here's everyone. Everyone is leaning in, waiting for the miracle, hanging on Jesus' every syllable, and they hear, Your sins are forgiven. And that was perfect. You get that long, awkward silence and the random cough. Because everyone's thinking, the legs. And it's just too, it's just too, and it is, is just too, it's too easy to read this like, uh, like the paralytic is a one-dimensional character. Like he's the plant in a, you know, in a magic show out in the audience, like he's the stooge whose only real purpose in the story is to highlight Jesus's awesomeness. This is a real person. Uh, his condition is so bad that he is dependent on others to go anywhere, which means his prospects for work, they are non-existent. 
His prospects to marry and have a family are non-existent. This is everything to him. There is nothing else to this young man. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus is not minimizing this man's paralysis. Jesus never minimizes the suffering of people. He does not minimize what you, I mean what you individually, what you and your friends, what you and your family, he does not minimize what you are going through. But Jesus knows what's really wrong with this man and what's really wrong with us. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, everyone else may be sitting there in the awkward silence thinking, you know, the legs, but the religious leaders, the scribes that are there, they get what Jesus is claiming here when he says to this young man, your sins are forgiven. He's not claiming to be some amazing miracle worker. He's claiming to be God because only God can forgive sins. Jesus saying, what we said to the kids, Jesus saying your sins are forgiven is a claim that our sin has everything to do with Jesus. Our failures, our flaws, our pride, our fears, our defiance, our gossip, our grudges, our self-righteous hatred of others, hurting others. Those sins are not just against yourself or your neighbor or strangers. All of those are actually assaults against Jesus because Jesus is God. And here's the conflict. We here, we are in conflict with Jesus. Everyone in the world is in conflict with Jesus. The people following Jesus, they like hearing God's, they like hearing God's word. What they really, 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 really want is Jesus' miracles. They like a good show. They want entertainment. And it's super easy for us to look down our noses at such people, but not fun to admit, at least some of that is in us, if not quite a bit of that is in us too. Like we find God's word interesting. Uh, we respect God's word. We like God's word. We're, we're you know, sometimes entertained by God's word. Uh, you know, at least sometimes we feel that stuff for God's word. But do we find ourselves in conflict with God's word? And I don't mean, like, I don't mean you read it and you say, oh, that's, like, that's not right. Jesus didn't get that right. Jesus is right and I'm wrong. Or, you know, Jesus is wrong and I'm, I'm right. And I don't mean that. What I mean is do we find ourselves reading God's word and thinking, oh, that is right. Jesus is right and I'm wrong. Does God's word challenge us? Does it change us? God's word is not meant to entertain you. It is not meant to agree with you. God's word is meant to challenge you and change you. God's word proclaims the gospel that you are a sinner in need of Jesus to save you and to forgive you and for you to repent and turn to him in faith. Conflict is, if, if God's word has not told you recently that you're wrong or asked you to do something that you don't want to do, if God's word is not challenging you in the moment, you're not hearing it. But this conflict story is not just about our conflict with Jesus. Because if you come to this point where you, yeah, okay, no, I... I do believe that. I do believe my greatest need is my forgiveness, uh, Jesus overcoming my sin. 
if you actually get to, if you are actually with Jesus, you put your faith in him, you believe Jesus forgives your sins, then you have a new conflict on your hands. I mean, you will continue to struggle with your sin and with Jesus, and he will continue to struggle with you, but if you are there with Jesus, then the world is against you. Jesus said uh, in uh, another sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And he's talking about us, that we're supposed to be peacemakers, that we're supposed to be respectful and gentle with all people, even those we disagree with, even our enemies. Love others as we love ourselves. And again, Jesus is not talking about, I'm not talking about not calling sin, sin. We literally just said our biggest, pro- our biggest problem is sin. Not, I'm not talking about, you know, iron sharpening iron, always be reforming. Not talking about like compromising, you, you know, love or the gospel at any point. But, but if we are called to be, if, if we're living as peacemakers, we are going to be in conflict. In that, uh, another pastor put it this way, if you're going to be merciful and not live demanding to get your own way, if you're going to sacrifice to serve others, if you're going to love your neighbor and love your enemy, you're going to get conflict because you're going to get taken advantage of. If you're meek, if you're a peacemaker, it means you're not going to fight to get your own way. And if you're not going to fight to get your own way, you're going to lose out. And the world will look at you as weak, and they'll lord it over you. If you're going to be like Christ, you're going to be reviled. And people are going to say things about you that aren't true. That happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to you, whether it's from family members, friends, neighbors, the government, or even church members who should know better, people in the church. And it's because it's easy to laugh at and mock the cancel culture. That same spirit of that culture, it's, it's in the church. And I'm not just talking about, you know, corner, I'm like the, the church around the world. This idea that there are enemies that we need to war with and go after to destroy them. And, and it's not just that that spirit is directed, you know, in the church at the world. And, and we're going uh, to change everything uh, and, and have a, a new theocracy. Uh, no, it's also that spirit is in the church. And it's directed at Christians in the church. And so we gossip about other members and our leaders and we criticize, and we criticize, and we criticize, and we name call, and we ridicule, and we condemn. And sometimes we do it to each other. A lot of times we do it behind each other's backs in public, uh, uh, you know, dinner conversation. Or we publish it on social media for everyone to see. I mean, it's, uh, that's the opposite of peacemaking. Peacemaking in the midst of the conflict, it's looked upon as, as weak, and that's what we're called to do in the midst of the conflict to, to, love, to love others as we love ourselves. To use our strength not to crush someone, but to, to love them, serve them, be gentle with them. The kingdoms of the world will rise up against Jesus. The kingdoms of this world will rise up against you if you're with Jesus. But to be with Jesus, all of that to say, to be with Jesus is not a waste of your time. It's not a waste of your life because he is more powerful than the world. And he is more powerful than death. 
And he is more powerful than your death. And he's more powerful than you. And he's more powerful than your sin. His words are more powerful than your words. So when you say, Jesus could not forgive me for this sin, Jesus is looking at you through his word and he says to you, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus says those words to the paralytic, the religious leaders are sitting there and, and, and thinking uh, amongst themselves, that's really, like, that's really convenient for you, Jesus. Here, you know, this guy comes, serious legitimate problem that's unsolvable, and you know he's unfixable, and so you can conveniently get out of it by simply saying, oh, well, your sins are forgiven. You avoid the problem, you get super, super spiritual, no one can challenge you here except that that's total blasphemy because you're not God, and you can't prove it one way or the other. Nice out. And Jesus, read, here's another miracle that we don't, you know, Jesus reads their minds and he says, you have it, you actually have it backwards, totally backwards. It's infinitely harder for Jesus to forgive this guy his sins than it is for Jesus to miraculously heal this guy. It takes nothing for Jesus to heal this guy. But to forgive this guy, it will cost Jesus everything. Jesus knows what he will have to do in saying your sins are forgiven, he will have to suffer for this man's sins to forgive him. He'll have to take this man's sins upon himself on the cross and suffer the wrath of God in his place. And it's what he did for you. And it's why I can say to you, your sins are forgiven. Let me just say this. Y'all, Christianity is so boring when we think that we're good people. Uh, the gospel is good news when we are confronted anew with the harsh and terrible and offensive reality that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And, it, and it's then that the gospel is really, really, like really, 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 really good. And, and you've got to ask, if, if, if this is that really, really good news, you've got to ask, have you stopped believing that your greatest need is forgiveness? that you've bought into the light, that it's your greatest need is something else, anything else. If this is unbelievable news to you, I mean, here, and, you've, and you're sitting here, you're like, I've said I believe this, I say I believe this, I do I believe, I believe this, and this is so unbelievable, it's so hard, because you think you are too wicked, you think you are beyond forgiveness today, too far gone, too stuck. Hear the gospel again. Like, see the man Believe the gospel that in Jesus Christ, your sins, they are forgiven. And be with him, come what may. And you will persevere in this conflict because he will preserve you in it. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you uh, in prayer because... Uh, it's easy to think that you're the king and you've come with your kingdom and so everything should be better and we look around and we see the kingdoms of this world and it's not better. Lord, help us to remember and believe that you have come, that you have saved us and overcome our sin and now we long for the day for you to come back and to bring your heavenly kingdom with you to end all conflict. Lord, we long for that day and as we wait with you in the midst of this conflict, we pray that you would indeed preserve us in this faith. We thank you for what you have done in your life and in your death and in your resurrection and what you're doing now in your ascension. We love you. 
And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.